Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. America. I am not a number. I am a free man. Wiggins America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Wiggins. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. talk about DeSantis Newsome. We're going to talk about movies that are coming out in 2024 with Trisha at the end of this hour and at the beginning of next hour. It's kind of a theme for the show that I'm finding today. We're going to talk about electric vehicles and the nonsense that is being foisted upon us by the government. Welcome to Wiggins America. This is going to be a good show and that theme is where we're starting the show today. I was at a soccer tournament last weekend, and gosh, I can't wait to talk about that a little bit. Some personal stuff we'll get to at some point, but I don't know why this kept running through my mind, but I kept <laughs> kept coming back to this theme that the left, and maybe it's because I was traveling and I was just seeing different parts of the country than I do normally. You know, you, you on your commute, you pretty much see the same route every day or every week, whatever it is depending on what you do. So getting outside of that, I was seeing many different parts of the country, and I was thinking the left (laughs) has no concern for the poor. And I hate to say that because I typically in the past, the left has gotten a reputation, and rightfully so, for being the more compassionate version of human beings, at least version of American human beings. And the right has been more practical and pragmatic and saying, well, yes, but maybe there's a better way to get there. We've gotten full circle now where the left has been so overtaken by their compassion that they'll believe anything. And one of those things that they believe is that they're going to do the best for poor people, but they don't actually want to touch the poor. They, they want to do things from afar for the poor. So 
You're talking about mostly coastal people. You're talking about mostly wealthy people, although not entirely, who consider themselves to be compassionate. And maybe they do have that bent in their heart toward compassion for even poor people or for people who've been left behind by society. But the people that they follow and vote for have fully used that against them at this point. Because those same people who vote for those things first, they're being taken advantage of. Their leaders are not actually doing those things for them, even if they want them to. But they make them feel like they are. And that is what's really unfortunate, is that my hope is that the left, the compassionate left, the bleeding heart left, who I really like, I wish that they could see that they're being used by their party for votes and that it's not the government's job to do that. It's your job individually to do that. But they're not. They're not doing it. They feel like the government has kind of stepped into that role for them and kind of satisfied that need in their heart. I see it in in so many aspects of the environmental movement in the United States. Uh, I see it in the green energy movement completely, where you're talking about the people at the top uh, are using the people at the bottom to achieve basically big government and big business goals. You know, they spend money, they spend a lot of tax money. So they're basically saying, look, let us handle this for you. We will spend your tax money for you. And where does that go? Where does that tax money go? I mean, individual examples like a green energy company, for instance, some green energy startup says we have a better way to have lower emissions. All we need is tax subsidies. And the Democrat machine is all too happy to use your tax money to pay for those and say, you know what? This is worth it. This is going to save humanity. This is worth it to take your money and to use it for this. So they're taking your money. And where does it go? It goes to big companies or it goes to startup companies. It goes to venture capitalists, people who have the means and the ability to start those companies. Well, they're not just taking tax money from rich people to do that. They're taking tax money from poor people to do that. Think about this. <laughs> please, please think this through with me and realize that the left is using you left voters. If you don't have that much money and you're voting for environmental policies they are taking money from the poor, back to my original point here, they're taking money from the poor through taxes, and they're giving it to big business. Electric vehicles are another great example of this. If you can afford electric vehicle, you are probably rich or at least among the richer half, probably more than that, of society. I don't know any poor people who are like, you know what, I want a Tesla. It doesn't happen. <laughs> so if you're rich enough to afford an electric vehicle right now, you realize that subsidies are going to prop that business up. Where, where is that coming from? Tax money. So you're taking money from poor people, you're taxing poor, and then giving it to rich people who can afford electric vehicles. Again, across the board, <clears throat> this is the government through this kind of veiled, we're so compassionate outlook we're so compassionate that we're going to take money from the poor and give it to the rich this isn't communism this is reverse communism communism lays it out and says it's all equal everybody's going to do the same thing and everybody's going to make the same thing it never works out that way but that's the communist dream 
leftists are so now far down that rabbit hole that they're not even saying equal for everybody. They're actually saying, no, actually, we know that you don't have that much, so we're going to take what you have and give it to more rich people. That's what the environmental movement is doing now. It's all the way down to local governments now. Now, if you, th- if you think this is all a federal thing, you're mistaken. I live on the Illinois side of the river, and it's happening right there, right in front of your nose. If you live in Edwardsville, they have a plastic bag tax. If you go to the grocery store, you have to pay extra to carry your groceries home in a bag. Well, if you're rich or if you're well off, you know, the extra whatever cents it's going to take to get a couple of bags is no big deal. If you're even middle class, it's probably not a big deal. But if you're poor, an extra, you know, 10% or 10 cents per dollar or whatever it is that you're going to get, however many bags you use, that does make a difference. An extra buck or two does make a difference when you're poor, especially when groceries are so high. But guess who cares about that? Not wealthy liberals. They don't care about that. They just want to feel like they've made a difference. And in fact, they have made basically no difference by taxing plastic bags. You can still use them and they still do use them. They just pay extra for them that goes to the government. It's a great example of, yes, we care, but at the cost of the poor. We can weather these things, but we know you can't, but we're going to pass them anyway. Ultimately, what they want, and I'm using Edwardsville as an example here because it's, it's, it's much easier to look at these at a small, small scale. Edwardsville ultimately doesn't want poor people in their city. There's some trailer parks and stuff in Edwardsville, but they don't want those people there. The wealthy don't want to be around poor people. Back to the original point of this whole segment. The elites only pretend to care about poor people. They don't actually want to be around them. They don't want them in their communities. In fact, they will go to great lengths to drive them out of their communities. And now they are using government to charge them to live their lives when it comes to things like EVs. We're going to talk more about the electric vehicle nonsense. And here's the weird thing. I'm not even opposed to electric vehicles. I'm opposed to the way they're being used right now as political capital. We're going to talk to Kevin Stockland from the Epic Times about that at the beginning of the next hour. Trisha is going to be in uh, at the end of this hour to talk about movies. And before we do that, let's talk about the debate. We'll do that in this hour here on Wiggins America. Stick around. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Bye. 
Wiggins, Mexico was too hot and Wiggins, Canada was too cold. Wiggins, America, just right. It was in this very segment about a month ago that I gave my predictions for what the election was going to look like. This was an off-year election, so there's some weird ones. Kentucky governor, Virginia Senate and House, Ohio, abortion measure. And, uh, you know, I'm not just reliving that to tell you that I went four for four, but uh, it was in this segment that I talked about that, or at the beginning of the show anyway. And then I went on to predict what I thought that meant for 2024. Well, one of those things I said in that segment was, I haven't really dug into the House yet. So I don't know what the House of Representatives is going to do in 2024. I do think it's going to be very, very close. But one of the things that I've been studying is the redistricting. Because while the redistricting from the 2020 census, which don't even get me started on that, how they inflated Democrat states and reduced Republican states, they did just enough, like one Republican state, to make it seem like, oh, we didn't really mean to do this as an accident. But overall, Democrats gained about four electoral college seats out of that and therefore four House representative seats out of that. I digress. Point being that I've been looking at redistricting because a lot of this has been still fought in the courts. So we already had a 2022 election based on the census, but some of that is still being written even now in 2023 and into 24. So I wanted to take a deep dive, kind of look at what that meant for the House, who's going to control the House in 2024. And I did. And I really kind of already covered that on the Annie Fry show. Ryan Recker was filling in and I did it for a Wiggins America. So I figured instead of just rehashing the whole thing, I would play back that conversation for you. Wiggins. Yep, for this Wiggins America, I want to talk about the chances of Congress going back to Republicans entirely in 2024. Now, with the off-year elections at the beginning of this month in a Wiggins America segment slash my weekend show, I believe that I gave it on the show. Maybe it's just in on weekends. Either way, I recorded myself giving predictions uh, for what I thought was going to happen in the beginning of November elections from this month. And they were the four main ones. They were the Virginia Senate, Virginia House, the Kentucky governor, and the Ohio abortion measure. And in all four of them, I uh, did end up going four for four in those. But Ooh. then I, I used that basically to say, okay, all right, hey, hey, trust me now. Okay, trust me now. All right. So let's look at 2024. And I gave my predictions for not only who I thought the nominees would be, which I haven't changed, Biden-Trump. Um, I still think it's going to be Biden-Trump. But also who would win that? I'm, I'm guessing Trump right now, um, and who would take back the Senate, which looks like it's going to be Republicans. What I didn't mm-hmm. talk about was the House, and it's because I just hadn't looked deep enough into the House. And I was it caught my attention, this Axios article that came out this weekend, actually it was a little bit before that, uh, that saying that the, the House and the Senate, most likely in their opinion, according to, I guess, their own polling, they're saying that they think they're both going to flip <laughs> so oh. that the the Republicans would take back the Senate and the Democrats would take back the House. Oh, I think that's huh. that's very, very possible. Um, but just to kind of summarize why the Senate, even Axios, which leans left, I believe, uh, is saying that Republicans take back the Senate. It's because right now it's it's so close that Republicans really only need to take back two seats, um, depending on who you call a Republican and independent at this point. Well, 
and who takes back the White House. Right. And there's, there's also like the Republicans are less on defense with the Senate. And that's a fact. In the map that's coming up, Republicans have a very good map in 2024. And with Joe Manchin now retiring, um, West Virginia looks to be almost a lock. Mm -hmm. Republicans really only have to pick up one seat if they take back the presidency to have the majority. Two seats if they want to be sure. And with uh, the Montana Joe Tester race coming up, they're saying that that's going to be very tight, if not an easy uh, Republican pickup. So there's other ones too, of course, but Ted Cruz being like the most vulnerable Republican in Texas in this map, that votes mm. bodes well for Republicans. Yeah. He's wow. really the only one that Democrats are talking about trying to flip. And that's, I think, more of a talking point than anything because they don't want to act like they're just playing defense because that's what they are doing. So I have a uh, recommendation for you. You need to purchase a safe so you can write these predictions down and put it in like Kreskin would, and then you can open up the safe at the end of the election and show that there has been no funny business to your actual <laughs> predictions. Um, yeah. So which could be a nice gimmick, but I like you went four for four. That's pretty impressive. In fact, um, now you're handicapping the next election, which I think – People should be running to the bank right now and putting those uh, bets down uh, because you have a pretty good track record and you pay close attention to these. Um, I'm going to put some money down, uh, not putting money down. So uh, essentially not put money down. The things that we find, like if you remember the last election, I thought it was going to be a lock for Donald Trump. He was running high on the polls and then COVID hit. And then look what happened. Like it's a craziness that the world got flipped, turned upside down, fresh Prince of Bel-Air style. Mm -hmm. And here we are living in a crazy world where everything feels like it's been flipped upside down all the time. So it's, it's so hard to predict these things anymore. Yeah. And that is I, the thing. Uh, it's, it's very, very difficult a year out to say. And so when we we're saying this, it's obviously if a COVID hits in the next yeah. year or something yeah. of that magnitude, you just can't predict it. But, um, you know, th that's why we make these predictions is, is to be on record and say this is the trend right now. And I didn't mean to cut you off there, but go ahead. But is a COVID hitting? Because you, you see the headlines where they're locking things down in Europe and China again. Are, are, we, are, we, are they trying to set up uh, the sequel to the terrible first movie that came out? I don't know. I do see what you're talking about in China and them saying that this, this pneumonia has been going on since May and they've been not talking about it and that it's pretty serious and they show lines out the door waiting to get into hospitals and stuff. I just don't know because you don't know what's coming out. You never know what is right. actually happening in China. You just don't. Outside of Shanghai, where they do allow foreigners in, they really don't allow foreigners into the rest of the country. And so you're, you're trusting what they're telling you. And so why are they saying this now? Why is this leaking out now? Is it because they just can't get a handle on it or they have an angle that they're trying to share this with you? Is it really that bad? Or are they trying to make sure that th that you know that they could do something again? Like you're just trying to scare you, you know, going into the next election. You know, here in Michigan, there's a pretty big Senate seat that's up. I, I don't know. It's so hard living here anymore. It just seems like there's so many Democrats that control everything in Michigan that you have a seat that was well-established in Debbie Stabenow, and she's retiring. Right. But then you get some other big names that throw themselves into the race. But it, it would be weird for the Republicans to have the Senate again. It would be nice if they were able to control. But then again, if you go back to early on in Trump's presidency, they had a lot of control, and it still seems like there's a lot of interference and problems. Inter-party fighting, we continue to see that, which kind of counteracts even having somewhat of a House uh, control. 
where you get just a couple yeah. of people that don't want to play games and all of a sudden here we are fighting more and more and more. So even if you have a majority anymore, it doesn't even feel like a majority if it's a slim one. It, it, and it will. It's it's just going to be slim majorities. I, I don't think that we're going to see a whole lot of big swings like we have in the past. Let me get to just a little bit of this data I was going to share here about the House. So there are five redistricting cases right now going on that may involve the Supreme Court or they may kick them down. There's a lot of court cases going on. And Wisconsin is one of them. And Alabama and Louisiana are the others. Now, some of these have already somewhat been decided, Alabama in particular, that they're trying to make sure that Republicans don't uh, kind of carve out majority black districts. And ultimately, these things, Republican Democrats have no concern over the racial impact. It's all political. Carve out or carve up? Carve up. Sorry, carve up. Because there are majority black areas, of course, of each of these states, especially in Alabama and Louisiana, where they've already talked about this, and where Republicans have tried to carve them up and make majority Republican districts out of them and underrepresent them. And that's illegal. You can't do that. Um, And so the Supreme Court has stepped in and said you can't do that. But ultimately, Democrats and Republicans are not looking at this really as a racial case. They're talking about it politically and just how is it going to benefit their parties. These two cases and the Wisconsin ones could and probably will hurt Republicans going into 2024. However, what's not being talked about at all is that New York's was heavily Democrat Uh and theirs is being considered to be the same in reverse, that they are underrepresenting other racial groups um, in New York. And then in North Carolina, they actually flipped the, um, the Supreme Court of North Carolina to Republican now, and they, they had all these gerrymander questions going up and they've pretty much said no they're all moot and so north carolina is actually going to gain republican seats so whatever happens in the rest of these it's probably going to be moot because of north carolina so there's your update so did you watch the gavin newsom desantis debate this week i don't subscribe to a cable company so i wasn't able to watch it live but i did watch a lot of clips kind of as it was happening and listened to the whole thing most of it anyway, on 97.1 FM Talk. You might know that station. You're listening to it now. Uh, I'm glad that we got to air that because otherwise I don't know that I would have been able to hear most of it. It was very interesting, and I know a lot of people were very critical of that debate saying, look, these are two also-rans. They're not the main candidates. Well, my response to that is, A, look ahead to 2028 because that's what both of them are doing. And also being a a safety net just in case the worst could happen in 2024. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure they wouldn't throw that away. But also, this should be happening all the time. This was a great, great example of what should be happening in the United States. Now, you may not like the format. You may not like the style. You may not like that they talk over each other so much and they're just saying talking points or whatever. Like Your criticisms are all valid. But this kind of thing is the way forward. To clash ideas together and see what works and see who wins. Sometimes it's going to be personality that wins over the day. That's just the case with anything. That's just what it is. We're a representative democracy. We are represented by people, and people vote for people, not just ideas. But ultimately, what was on display during that debate was just a bunch of ideas. And the amazing thing is, here's my big takeaway I'm going to play some clips for you here in a second just to to back this up. But Newsom is one of the better Democrat debaters and media handlers 
that's out there. I mean, he just is. He's slick. He knows how to play the game. He knows how to talk the talk. He doesn't walk the walk. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been at the French Laundry and skirting his own rules during COVID. But he knows how to talk the talk, and that's a lot of times all it takes. But kudos for him to him for being willing to do this debate and go into the lion's den with Sean Hannity uh, moderating that debate. I get it. That's not friendly territory. But Republicans go into non-friendly territory all the time. In fact, that's pretty much all they do other than go on Fox News. Outside of Fox News, no major politician is going on any network anywhere and being treated kindly at best, somewhat fairly, and usually not even that. So for Newsom to finally step into hostile territory, kudos to him, he failed. He did very, very poorly, and that just goes to show you how weak Democrats have gotten because the media environment so favors them that they don't really have to do this very often. DeSantis won that debate, and the way that he did it was not through being real slick. It was through facts. I actually thought DeSantis wasn't that slick. Uh, The difference between listening to it and watching it is that DeSantis, to me, when I watched him, he just looks a little uncomfortable. He looks like he can't wait to, like, get it out. Like, he's he's almost, like, itching to get it out, which doesn't play well as far as optics go because he doesn't have that cool, calm demeanor that Gavin Newsom does all the time until the very end of that debate when he got kind of nasty. Now, that's all just optics. We're talking about substance here. And DeSantis really won on that. So I'm going to play a couple clips. Here's the first one from DeSantis. It's about California and Florida and COVID. Here you go. On a per capita age-adjusted basis, California and Florida, basically the same. Now, why is that important? Because Gavin Newsom did huge damage to people in California. He ruined livelihoods. We reopened the the, the state very quickly. We saved thousands of jobs. We saved hundreds of hundreds of thousands of jobs, thousands of businesses. We had our kids in school. He had the kids locked out of school because of the teachers union. That is having a generational impact. California has one of the lowest literacy rates in the country. In the most recent NAEP exam, Florida came in number three for fourth grade reading. California was far, far behind. So you should apologize for not getting your kids in well, school. You, Why didn't you get the kids in school in the summer of 2020 like we did? The only you person, bowed to the ki- teachers the only union. Person, you didn't do the job you should have done. Okay, so that to me was very substantial. It was substantive. It had a lot of facts in it, and it was true. I mean, you don't have to look up the stats on that. You remember it. You just lived it a couple years ago, and you watched which states were doing what. We watched which countries were doing what. California did it completely differently, and he's trying to rewrite history, Newsom is, on that. In fact, Democrats in general are. DeSantis didn't let him get away with that. Usually, that happens in echo chambers. This happened live. Love it. Here's another one from DeSantis, just talking about the difference in freedoms in each state. Gavin Newsom, one point, tried to say that California was the freedom state. I just kind of laugh, like you're locking people down, you're doing all this. Uh, but then I thought about it, you know, California does have freedoms uh, that some people don't, uh, that other states don't. You have the freedom to defecate in public in California. You have the freedom to pitch a tent on Sunset Boulevard. You have the freedom to create a homeless encampment under a freeway and even light it on fire. You have the, the freedom to uh, have an open-air drug market and use drugs. You have the freedom, if you're 
an illegal alien to get all these taxpayer benefits. So, so those are freedoms. They're not the freedoms our founding fathers envisioned, but they have contributed to the destruction of the quality of life in California, and the results speak for themselves. People are leaving the state because they have failed in addressing the homeless population. Now, I've got a very powerful position here in covering the debate because I could very easily pick clips that made DeSantis look great and ones that Newsom make make him look terrible if I wanted to or vice versa. But what I did was I went on to Twitter last night. Oops, that was a mistake. But I went on to Twitter and I started searching for great DeSantis moments versus great Newsom moments. And I genuinely was looking for people saying, man, DeSantis really nailed this and, you know, pull the clip. And then Ooh, Newsom just absolutely destroyed DeSantis right here. I can't believe it. You know, hard leftists. And those did exist. But they weren't really great clips. So I pulled both of them and tried to be very equal in pulling ones that their sides were saying, oh, man, he really nailed him there. And here's a couple. Now, those were a couple from DeSantis. Here's a couple from Newsom. See if you can tell the difference about the substance of what they're talking about. It just, this is just a reminder uh you know, it, it, I think it's a question some people are probably asking. I know Nikki Haley's campaign is asking, when are you going to drop out and at least give Nikki Haley a shot? Okay. I mean, that's that's like a good zinger, I guess. When are you going to drop out and give her a shot because you're not doing it? I get that. Okay. But it's not really, like, substantial and it's not policy-based. Here's another one that people were like, oh, yeah, that was a good one. He really got DeSantis there. I can handle that. I can handle it. I'm used to that. But you know what? You wanted her your attacks on the trans community, you your attack her on not the gay and lesbian community. That's wrong. You attack vulnerable communities. We made, you we attack women. And we made sure Again, they could Again, Ron, relax. I can handle it. I'm used to bullying. You're nothing but a bully. You're I understand bully. that. Intimidating and humiliating people. That's your calling Why card. You? So you're just humiliating people and you're a bully. And then <laughs> DeSantis goes, you're a bully. I mean, that these are the moments that people were pulling and saying, wow, that was good. He really showed him there. There's nothing to him. We're going to take a short break. I thought that was great, though. I really did. Let me know what you think. At Radio Wiggins on Twitter. We'll be right back with more. Hello, Trisha. Hello, Ryan. I was going to play your open, but I can't find it. Oh, all right. Sounds about right. So uh, I'll work on that for next week. Thank you. I've got here before me a list of the most highly anticipated films for 2024. Ooh, I'm excited about this. Have you, do you know of any that you already either know are going to happen or you're looking forward to seeing? Is Napoleon this year or is that next year? Napoleon. I don't remember seeing that. There's a lot of them, so I got to look through this real quick. That might already be out or coming out this year. That might be a Christmas thing. Yeah, I think that's soon. Mm -hmm. So I think that's going to be considered this year. And then uh, the... Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which isn't that. The Willy Wonka movie, that'll be this year, too. And then the Hunger Games movie. So I think I'm just excited about the end-of-the-year movies yeah, this year. Yeah, none of those are on this list. Okay. Now, I took some off the list that I had never heard of, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I wouldn't have taken them off because I've I've heard of those and I know the franchises. But there are a, a lot of big movies coming out in 2024 that I had no idea were happening. Now, some of these I have no interest in seeing, but that doesn't mean they're not a big movie, and that's kind of why I wanted to go through it, see mm-hmm. if you're interested in seeing these or not. We'll start with Snow White. Snow White. Is this the Hispanic Snow White? It is the Rachel Ziegler version of Snow White. It's the Disney one that's getting a lot of flack for being woke. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing I can remember that's woke about it, because there are some details that I I honestly have forgotten at this point, but the one that I laugh at is that, 
oh, it's it's about female empowerment, so she doesn't need the prince and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then she is just a very normal looking woman. Well, the evil queen is Gal Gadot, who's beautiful mm-hmm. and is jealous of Rachel Ziegler. <laughs> like, You're not buying that it. That doesn't really make sense. But I have zero. Well, is Rachel Ziegler Hispanic? I can't oh. think. I, I thought that those were the two. There were two controversies. One that the actress playing Snow White. Uh, had dark skin, which I do not care about. That That is not something, it's the same deal with The Little Mermaid. I do not care how you cast on skin color. That doesn't bother me at all. But the one that was actually kind of funny was that they were like not using, they were being like real PC about the dwarves. Yes, this is that one. Yeah. Yeah. That they like were like, then they're like. They're not going to call them dwarves. Well, but they weren't using like actual short people or yeah. like there was like a whole thing where they were using some people with dwarfism and like yeah. some that weren't and then like there were people mad on both sides and i don't know if they adjusted based on this but the the trailer and the and the photos they've released make the the dwarves look like fake people they but they're walking around with real people so i can't tell what exactly they were going for like they were trying to separate it from reality so much that you wouldn't even think about it anymore and you that, wouldn't go that'd be oh, that's smart with as much controversy is that guy it was like they they could no matter what they did they were offending somebody because they've they've once you tap into offense culture you're just gonna be a part of it there's a no win yeah and they were like well we're not gonna call them dwarves and then dwarves or little people whatever the new term is were like well then we're not getting parts (laughs) and they're like well oh you're Mm -hmm. discriminating against dwarves in a movie about dwarves and they're like, oh, well, we didn't mean that, so we'll, we'll cast dwarves. Oh, no, that's offensive. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and even you talking about it, I'm like, how is he, like, navigating this language? Because I'm scared to even talk about it because I'm yeah. scared to step yeah, into somebody's this. Get, I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. It's just whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Kung so, Fu no, Panda 4. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know there was a three. Nope, sure did not. <laughs> or if, if pre- you pressed me, I might have said maybe three. I knew there was two. I haven't seen any of them. I'm I assuming I you have. I saw the first one. And not because I really wanted to. It was just one of those on a flight or somewhere where it was on and I saw it. Uh, the, I, the reason I don't like Kung Fu Panda is not because I think they're bad movies. They're kind of fun. But they only make them. This is DreamWorks making this movie. They only make them because they play well in China. And so it's a China play with that. And they're getting away with it. It's like if you mm-hmm. do that now, people go, hey, wait a minute. You're just pandering to China. But Kung Fu Panda predates that why i mean why do we care? tell me why i would care if we were pandering if they were pandering to china in the form of kung fu panda if it's making other people happy too well they're they're pandering to the market they're, they're sort of using american things to pander to a market so to make money to make money which yeah. is what china does off of us right yes but <clears throat> i think the point is why make things that are like like the NBA, <clears throat> don't open yourself up to the Chinese market because then the Chinese government is going to control your material. And so this is kind of DreamWorks version of that saying, hey, you know what? We're going to play big in both America and China. And that means that America is not going to tell you how to make a movie, but China will. China will tell you what you can and can't put in that movie. Do you think that they are with Kung Fu Panda? I think they're just playing it safe. They're probably just not mm-hmm. treading into any territory where you would need to do that. But, I mean, there's things like certain buildings that they're like, well, we don't want that building in 
this movie yeah. and stuff, you know? No, I'm familiar with that, and I understand it on principle, but I also think that my initial reaction is if we can make money off of the Chinese economy, then why wouldn't we? They make money off of us I, I mean, that's actually a pretty good point. Uh, a Quiet Place Day One. This would be the third one. This would be the third one, but I believe this is a prequel. So this is about uh, the the way this whole alien invasion started. That's actually pretty cool to me as a concept. Me too. Have you seen the other two? The first one. I could not watch the second one. The first one was hard to watch. What for do you me. mean you couldn't watch the second one? Like I didn't want to. I not my no, not my kind of movie. Oh, I okay. don't um I don't like any um one it was sad. There was mm-hmm. there was some real tragedy in the first one and I don't like the like nail through the skin kind of thing. Like she steps mm-hmm. on a nail kind of that's not my kind of horror. Can't I scream. want ghosts. Yeah. I want uh, some kind of twists and turns. Yeah. Uh, this, I did see the second one. I really liked the first one. I liked the second one. The second one got caught in COVID where they were not quite done filming when everything shut down. And so they had to go back and do a bunch of scenes, but the kids had aged quite a bit and it was very problematic. So I think that hurt it a little bit in ways that you can't really quantify, mm-hmm. but it, it wasn't quite as good as it could have been. I really like John Krasinski and Emily Blunt Same. both a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they are... John Krasinski, actually, I don't know if you knew this about him, he tried to come up in Hollywood as a writer and couldn't make it because I guess it's harder to become a writer than it is to become an actor, in his words. That's what he said. And he said, so I just said, well, I'll just try out for a few parts because it's I'm not getting anywhere with writing. And then he got the part on The Office, of course, and he became a huge celebrity. And now he's going back to writing because that's what he always wanted to do. He's and like, I think these are, look what I yeah, can do exactly. Now. And his wife's Emily Blunt, so yeah. like you can pretty much get anything made you want when mm-hmm. you have two stars of that magnitude. And he's, I think he's writing some really interesting stuff. This is a unique concept for a horror movie that had never really been done before. The whole keep quiet thing—it's been done in scenes, but not for an entire plot of a movie. And I want to add <clears throat> that with horror and sci-fi, a lot of times they do throw you right into the action after an invasion has already happened or after, think of uh, a lot of zombie movies, 28 Days Later, mm-hmm. um, The Walking Dead. Yeah, the zombies are already running the show they by the time you get in there. They kind of skip over the part where the whole outbreak happens. And this goes back to where that happens. And I love that stuff. Because it, they skip it because it's expensive. <laughs> it's really, really hard yeah. to show like this huge magnitude. Well, it's also. And... I mean, you make you're an you're a, a writer. You understand. Like you make choices. Jumping in in the middle of any kind of conflict or in, at a middle point of a story is a lot more intriguing, oftentimes than being like, okay, and then on the first day they did this. Mm-hmm. On the the linear yeah. nature of like storytelling isn't always the best. Play, yeah, it's a form so. of storytelling to show you a really dramatic scene. A lot of times involving a character that's not even in the movie, especially with horror. Like, oh, somebody walks into the house who's not going to be a part of the rest of the movie at all, but this person's going to die real fast to show you how dangerous the situation is. Mm-hmm. Then we introduce our characters. They're walking into that dangerous situation that you just saw. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen to them? That's the rest of the movie. Yeah. The other way is to show a scene that's pretty much the end of Act 2. So it's something really extreme at the end of Act 2 that you show at the very beginning, and then you build the movie back toward that. Mm-hmm. And then you show, oh, that's how that ended, yep. but it's not quite the end. You still have another full act to go, and that's actually a really fun form of for- storytelling, in my opinion. I don't ever write that way, but it is kind no, of fun. No, I agree. Yeah. Um, cool. Last couple that we'll get to here, because there's so many of them. Dune Part 2. 
I will watch that. Me too. Did you watch the first one? I did. I liked it. Mm-hmm. It was I pretty good. A little slow, but yeah. pretty yeah. good. It launched that Timothy Chalamet. Mm-hmm. And man, is that dude annoying to watch in real life. <laughs> 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 oh, no. This guy again. But I did like the movie. Uh, and Deadpool 3. Yeah, I won't. No? Did, have you seen any of them? I saw the first one. Thought it was funny. Didn't yeah. care to go any further. Well, the big the big news about this one is not just that Ryan Reynolds is coming back as Deadpool, which I didn't know that I would enjoy as much. It's very f- dirty, but it's funny. Mm-hmm. Like He's just funny. I, yeah, I like Ryan Reynolds. Um, but Hugh Jackman is returning as Wolverine in this. After he said he would never play Wolverine again after 2017. He's coming back. I'll see it. Uh, that's what all we're going to get to in the time that we have allotted today. But Trisha is going to come back in the next hour. Stick around at the beginning of the next hour. Kevin Stockland from the Epic Times is here to talk about electric vehicles. The farce that's being pushed by the government versus the reality of the market for them. We'll talk about that in the next hour. Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.